Welcome to the Business Vitality Podcast. My name is Katherine Canty. I am the host and an executive coach. I work with teams, individuals, and leaders to help create measured leadership change. We do that using practical applications, and our clients are creating 100% measured results as seen by those around them. Not necessarily what I think or what they think, but what the other people are seeing. And they are being recognized for the hard work that they're doing. If you're interested in learning more about some of the work that we're doing, you can learn more at KatherineCanty.com. I would love for you to subscribe to this show, to Business Vitality. This is my way to continue to pay it forward and share business best practices. Stay tuned and listen to the interview. Thanks for being here. Andre Martin, you are the author of Wrong Fit, Right Fit, and the founder of Shift Space, found on the web at WrongFitRightFit.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Catherine, thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited. I enjoy our conversation before. I enjoyed the research that kind of led us to this opportunity now to be able to speak. And um, I'm just intrigued on a lot of different topics. But before we jump into it, can you just explain the work that you're doing and the the book that's coming out, Wrong Fit, Right Fit? Um, People are curious. What is it? Tell me about it. Yeah. So Catherine, I've spent 25 years in corporate America, really in these jobs as chief talent officer or chief learning officer, helping big companies feel small. Another way to put that is to really create workplaces that are engaging and high commitment. And over those 25 years, one of the things that really has been in the back of my mind is that every company works for about 60% of the people. And then there's 40% of the people that are out there every day wanting to do their best work. And they just feel like it's hard. It, it's like they're slogging through mud every day. And so they start to work harder and try harder. And then in the end, they, they end up disengaged. We know that Gallup tells us there's, what, $8.1 trillion of lost productivity due to disengagement. And so really, my whole career has been trying to help talent do their best work every day. And that led me over the last 20 years to this book, Wrong Fit, Right Fit, which is really trying to answer that question of how can we create workplaces where talent can walk in every day, feel like they're riding with their dominant hand and do their best work and bring all of their creative energy to bear on the company that they work for. Okay, that hits home for me um, when you talk about how big companies want to feel small. Um, I worked in a $300 billion financial institution, very, you know, under the radar because they want to feel that small um, impact in the rural communities. And I always find it entertaining that you've got, you know, that that $300 billion influence in the market. But then when you go back into the building, they really want to figure out how to connect and communicate and be nimble and, um, and, and have that flexibility. And it's a, it's a push and a pull a lot of times. You shared some of the companies that you've worked with. Do you mind kind of sharing those companies that, you're, that you were with before I'd, you I'd went be out on your own? Yeah. yeah, sure. So I started my career at a place called the Center for Creative Leadership, which is one of the largest executive development firms in the world based near, near you out in, out in the Carolinas. And then I went to these large brands and revered companies. I spent some time at Disney, spent a lot of years at Mars Incorporated, the M&M and pet food company, and then moved on to Nike, Google, 
and then Target as, as the last company I was in and loved every one of those experiences. But one of the things that really stood out for me in those experiences is every one of them were very different. Every company had a different way of setting strategy, solving problems, collaborating, managing conflict. They had a different way to give feedback, to develop their employees. They had a different relationship with time. And often when we are choosing jobs as employees, we look at the brands, we look at the products, but we don't think about how does that company actually work and does it actually work for me? And that's really where the, the book starts to lean in is to say, there's not one way of building a company. There's not one way of driving engagement. And as companies, we got to be really clear about who we are and how we work at our best. And as employees, we got to really pay attention to, is this the kind of place that I can walk into and feel like I'm riding with my dominant hand every day? Because if not, all your creative energy goes to the coordination of work, trying to figure out the secret decoder ring of success, as opposed to the thing that you do the best in the world. What you said with um, there's no like one solution that's going to fix everything or one solution to make everything run smooth that hits home because even when I was working with different levels of executives in the organization, I found the higher that you go within the organization, there is no right answer. And everybody's just doing the best they can with what they've got. And then, you know, you've got the, the folks that are on the front line that may not be exposed to some of these executive conversations, but being able to navigate through these organizations, you learn that everybody is trying to do the best they can. There yeah. is no like rhyme or reason of why we're doing sometimes, sometimes we just got to take a chance and, and we've got to go into a new market or we've got to make really hard decisions. And so um, to be able to do that, you've, you've got to be able to build trust within this, this organization, trust at the front line, trust at the executive level. Um, I like to talk that, that business vitality is bridging these three areas, which is that front line with sales, the back room with operations, because we, we need to understand what is capable and we got to understand what the strategy is um, that's in the boardroom because we've got to have the strategy that's going to carry that business. Um, but you know, for me, it, it always goes back to that customer on the front line, making sure we're delivering what we need to. So how do you build trust in these big organizations where you don't always get exposed to everybody all the time to really understand what we're, what we're getting into? You know, Catherine, I love the question. And, and I think you're leading into one of the most important conversations companies can have right now, which is, if you think about 10, 15 years ago, things were a little bit more stable, right? Our markets were a little bit more stable. Our strategies were a little bit longer term. And so we could really just bring in our employees, the best talent, get them set up for success, and then let them do their job. In today's world, you have to re-recruit your employees every single day, right? Because there's so much distraction in the world. There's so much change and disruption. There's so much noise that's pulling on us, so many demands that we have. And so one of the things I've been talking a lot about with employees, with leaders now is to say, hey, your job is no longer to just manage work. Mm -hmm. Your job is re-recruitment and it's a ground game. And really the way that I simplify that is to say, there's four basic questions that you should be asking and answering every day for your employees. The first one is, why is the world better with us in it? People need to know that the place they're working is having a profound impact on the world in big and small ways. The second one is, how do we make money or drive value? One of the things I see, and you probably saw this too, is when you're sitting in the middle of a company in your job, 
you don't actually understand how the company makes money. And therefore, you don't really understand why your job is important to everyday success. And so we need to make that super clear for people. The third one is how do we get work done? Right. Every company has that secret decoder ring of success, and we need to provide that to people so they're not walking around in the dark. And then last but not least is what's our unwavering promise to you in return for you bringing your creative energy and best effort to our company. And that's the promise that we're making to our employees. And, and I think if we saw our jobs as re-recruiting our frontline employees every day or back of the house, and we answered those questions, we would see commitment and engagement start to rise pretty quickly. Because a lot of what's holding people back is they just don't know what's important they don't know why they're doing what they're doing, and they're not sure of what's in this for me. How is this company making me better or leaving me net better off? Where did your four questions come from? They just came from the work that I, I've been doing for a lot of a lot of years, right? So I led teams that that worked on employee engagement, mm -hmm. and then through the book did interviews with over 100, 110 kind of leaders and employees at this point. And those questions kept coming up, right? People are looking for meaning. They want to know why their job's important. They just want to understand how to do the best work possible. And they want to know that working at a company is going to leave them better than when they walked in the door. And that, like those four questions are just, they're simple, but they're really powerful. And we have all these touch points in a single year that we can answer them for people. Right. So imagine that every employee has probably a thousand touch points with their company where they bump into the company, where there's an opportunity to re-recruit them. And we just don't use those as powerfully as we could. I would have to agree. And um, I, I see businesses that I work with. Um, prioritization is, I would call an opportunity because everybody thinks that everything is super important right now. And when you leave the meeting and you go back to the office and or you go, you know, turn off the Zoom call and get back to work, everybody just gets in this react, react, react mode. Um, nobody's really taking time to plan. Right. Um, they're just shooting from the hip and just trying to, to, to stay alive. And it's not creating the impact. And then you've got CEOs that I have worked with over the years, big organizations, and they can't find anybody who can think. They can find people who can shoot all day long. They can find people to react all day long. They can find people to fill out the TPS reports all day long. But they're like, where am I going to find these thinkers um, that know how to prioritize and um, be able to respond to the business market that we need? Like, I'll hire people all day long to fill the cubicles or fill the desk to fill out the reports. I need people who can shift with us, understand the cause, the purpose, the mission, um, I need people who can think and, and problem solve. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about the prioritization and, and just that I'm almost even I've got somebody coming to mind right now that I'm working with. They're just adamant that this thing to call somebody is not part of their job. Hmm. And I finally flipped it back on them. And I said, what if we just add that one line in your job description? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I did so many things that I didn't want to do, but it was always in that last line that said other duties as assigned. I said, what if we just write that into your job description? The script changed. And they were like, oh, well, that's part of my job. Yeah, I can do it. And I'm thinking, 
prioritization, you know, communicating with other people, problem solving. Tell me, are you seeing this as well? And if so, how do we proactively not just keep responding, but how do we shift from reactive into this proactive providing value? How do we, how do we pivot some of these people to shift? Because that's going to be a huge change that I think a lot of us are waiting on and trying to figure out how do you do this? Catherine, you know, it's, it's such an important topic, this idea of prioritizing our time Mm -hmm. and focusing on the things that matter most. And there's just, there's a few general trends that I think are standing our way of doing that really effectively. One is we're coming out of COVID. Now, whatever, whatever happened to you during that time, the one thing that was very true is it sort of created this habit of reactivity, right? So Every day we were reacting to new news, different ways of working, kids going back to school, being out of school, people sick, people well, in and out of the office. And and one of the things we have to look at now is to say, how do we start sort of rebuilding a new habit that's about proactivity, not reactivity? Because we just, we learned how to do it really well. We became experts in that, right? Everything was about pivoting really quickly during the day. So that's one, I think we have to sort of establish this habit or rebuild the muscle of proactivity. Um, Secondly, is we've sort of lost our relationship with time. One of the necessary factors of doing really deep thinking and creative work is time. And again, we got in this sort of rhythm of back-to-back meetings every hour, every 30 minutes, and you just can't have any intention, right? If you think about how much time we lose by stacking back-to-back meetings, because what happens, Catherine, and you know this as well as I do, I mean, we're both suffering from it often, is is I walk out of that 30-minute meeting and I'm a minute late because it went over. And then I'm jumping on the next video call. The first 10 minutes of that, you know what that first 10 minutes is? It's me sort of wrestling through what just happened in the last meeting, getting myself back to zero, and then being able to lean into the next meeting. I just lost 15 minutes of that meeting because human beings, we just don't pivot that fast. And so the second one is how do we reestablish a healthier relationship with time, right? That's going to help us be more proactive and prioritize our work. And the last one is this is the conversation I have with a lot of CEOs is I'm like, Hey, realize as a leader, your calendar is the company, right? The way that you use your time tells everybody what's important. And so I don't think we, I don't think we mine our calendars as well as we should, because here's the deal is you look at your calendar and I would ask any executive, any leader, any actually frontline employee is the conversation you're getting ready to have a million dollar conversation. And if it isn't, why are you having it? And is it really important to the future of the company, the future of your team, the future of your career? And I think if you start to be more mindful of how you're spending your time, how you use your calendar, it really helps people to gut check, is this important? Especially important for CEOs, right? Because the only job a CEO really has is you add legitimacy to conversations. Every time you put something in your calendar, you know what you're saying to your company? This is important. And so just being a little bit more thoughtful the way that we think about the conversations we're going into the conversations we're holding and the ones we're adding legitimacy to can be a really important unlock to, to higher levels of creativity. Time is at the core of every business that continues to succeed year over year, 
decade after decade, they know how to use their time. They do. And they have a gift of not looking burned out. They have a gift of like, there's an abundance of time and abundance of resources. You know, they'll get behind the eight ball and they're okay. Like we get here every once in a while. They know how to use their time. And I was reading a book called winning and the book, like I'm just addicted to this thing right now because um, they talk about focus management, not just time management, but like, how are we focused? And when you talked about the meeting where, because I've got a group that I'm working with and they, they do a meeting from top of the hour to top of the hour. And then they're going to be two minutes late to the next meeting And you see the processing of they're still processing what happened at the last meeting. And then they're not with us. So we just lost 15 minutes of this next meeting. And then it just compounds over and over again. Do you have people that I know people are living in this space right now? I have my own tips and tricks that I try to offer, but I would love to hear from you. How do we stop what they're doing? Like, do you have a few things, just immediate things that, could be easy to implement to help people if they like, yeah, I'm in that mode and I can't get out. I'll never get out. <laughs> do you have any suggestions for them? I do. I, you know, I think a few things that, that are super helpful and, and really simple to do. The first one is block the first hour of every week to simply just do a little bit of, um, a little bit of work on the calendar for the upcoming week. So it's just triage. It's like, really look at that week that's ahead of you and say, hey, if I'm being honest, am I essential to every one of these meetings that I'm in? Is every one of these meetings important to me or to my company? And is there any other way to do this work? Right? Because I think both those, those three things are important. The first one is, you know, do I really need to be at the meeting? Often we're joining meetings because we have FOMO or because someone put in our our calendar, but think about yourself and say, hey, the best thing I can do for that meeting is actually remove myself if I don't need to be there because fewer people, fewer voices, you just get more done. And so I think that's really important. Do I trust this group enough to be able to do that work without me, right? I think that, you know, really that second one about, you know, looking at the meeting of, is this just really important? Like, why is this standing meeting in my calendar? Why do I have it? Why is it there? Is it really providing value? And if not, why not? And I think that's another. And then the last one, you know, really this idea of, is there another way to do work? Right. I see so many meetings where I'm like, you could have done this on a Google doc Mm -hmm. in, in literally 10 minutes. And we just took two hours to get through it. And most of the meeting, we're not actually doing work. It's, it's really a lot of coordination. And so I would just ask people to say, Hey, there's a million different ways to get work done now. Why don't we start using asynchronous elements to get work done. And so that's one, that triage of the calendar is really important. I think the second one for me, and I use it religiously, is I only set meetings for 45 minutes, right? 30 minutes are often too short. An hour long meeting means that our calendars are back to back. But if you set the 45 and you say, I'm going to give myself 15 minutes of transition time, you're going to be amazed at how much better you are. You do pre-reads that you're supposed to do. You take a breath. You have intent about why am I at this meeting and what am I going to try to get done? And you just, you will fly through your calendar as opposed to to losing time and losing space. And then the last one I would say is, is be really mindful of the right and left boundary of your time, 
right? Because often what we're doing is we're, we're letting our work bleed into our lives. And so therefore our families are getting the rest of us, not the best of us. And that is a recipe for disaster because if life outside of work isn't magic, you cannot be great at your job. And so I just, I tell people today, I'm like, Hey, every one of your companies will take everything you're willing to give. But if you put boundaries on your time that are equitable, then you know what? People will start to follow you to that schedule and to that calendar. And so those are three things that I use every day that I hope help people. Fantastic. Thank you. And I, I like the, um, the buffer idea of the 15 minutes because it gives you the space to go get, you know, to have a break, a mental break, just get up, walk around um, just to go get another drink or a snack or something, knowing you're heading back into whatever it is that you're doing. And it's just not back to back to back because we're just not going to be any good at the end of the day, if we're doing that and, and what you're talking about, we don't want to give what's left over to our family. We want to be able to give them the same prioritization yeah. because they're going to be there regardless of work. You know, if we treat them the way that, you know, we want to, we've got to have the dedicated space for them as well. They're, huge part of our lives. It's not just about work all day and come home and burn down. And the other thing I'd say, Catherine, which you just hit on is the 15 minute buffer mm-hmm. has another really great benefit because our meetings are shorter. Mm-hmm. We tend to make better use of time, right? So, so when you start saying, Hey, it's not that you're going to have, you will have fewer meetings as a result, but you're going to be more choiceful of your time. And you're going to be more choiceful of how you use that time when you're in those meetings. And that's why the right and left boundary of your day and those 15 minute breaks, they're actually going to make you more productive. You're going to get more done in fewer moments. And that will start to drive down burnout, drive up engagement, and really get us back to that place where people are walking in Monday excited to be there. Yeah, they're rested when they come in. They're not just worn out from trying to catch up with whatever it was with their back-to-back meetings. And I've, I've worked with an individual and it was a bit reactive all the time. And he shifted into um, leaving devices back at the office and going out and talking to people. He was, it's amazing. I don't have to like respond to everything all the time. The meetings were shorter. We didn't have to have meetings after the meetings. Um, we were able to really get concise information and just drive the project forward much more efficiently than before. And the teammates are saying, we really feel like you're present. We're being heard. There's better dialogue. We can problem solve. And he said it's a game changer. But for him, it felt like not working because he didn't have this stupid phone that we're all addicted to in front of his face the whole time. Catherine, I love this. And so I know you're a reader like me. And there's a one of my favorite books the last couple of years is called Dedicated by Pete Davis. And he okay. talks about this idea of everybody is infinitely browsing, right? We're constantly browsing for greener grass, the next big thing, the next hit of dopamine from our social media, whatever it is. And he talks about this idea. Of, that's one of the biggest reasons why we are seeing commitment lower. We're less committed to our communities, less committed to our families, less committed to our companies. And part of it is because we're just ultimately distracted all the time. Mm -hmm. And we're focused, trying to focus on a million different things, which we know humans aren't good at multitasking. We're just not. Anyone that wants to tell you you're good at it, there's like 2% of of (laughs) humans on the earth that are actually good at multitasking. So 
let's start creating and putting ourselves in the best position to be success. And one of the things is really driving down the amount of time we're trying to be on our phone while we're in a meeting, being on video while we're on our email, while we're on our phone. I mean, it's just, I look at this, I'm like, there's no way you can be effective. There's no way you can have intent. There's no way you are giving the best of yourself to the people who are on that meeting with you if you're trying to do three things at once. And so I'm on a constant battle with myself just to say, hey, at work and especially at home, how do I just do one thing really well for as little time as possible before I do the next? And that really you know, can help us be much more effective in the end. I think that's great advice. I am seeing something in businesses today. I'd love to get your input on it in regards to I'm working with the executives and they have you know, the younger talent. And for some reason, they're thinking that they need a constant promotion or some sort of just constant something like it's just going to happen every 12 to 18 months, a promotion. And they're just always talking about it and always leading to it. And so I have thoughts around that. But then also we're in third quarter, heading into fourth quarter. There's performance reviews at the end of the year, typically. And you know, how do you prepare both sides, the executive and then also that person that's more junior on the team who thinks they need to be the executive, but we all know that you got to have a few battle wounds on you before you get to walk in those hallways and um, nobody wants to go through it, but sometimes that's just, that's life. You got to have some more experiences to get you there. But, you know, I was working with a, a, a leader does a fantastic job and new heading into year and performance reviews. This was mid this year that um, there was one of five areas that they knew they needed to work on. So we did a quick strategy call. We reverse engineered into how do you close this thing out um, to prepare proactively for that executive review at the end of the year. So I guess my question is twofold. When you look at the engagement and you're talking about, um, the wrong fit and the right fit and the, the 40% of people who are there, but they're not sure why they're there, but they're just trying to go on with the crowd and, and get promoted, you know, every delusional, you know, 12 to 18 months. Cause that's right. not normal normally in big companies. Um, how do you battle that heading into year and in performance reviews? You got the executive, you got the, the team members. How do you, how do you manage these personalities and how do you get them both ready for better communication is what my first thought is, but like, how do you get them ready heading into the end of the year? Sure. Well, let's, let's start with uh, younger talent, right? So talent who's just hitting the workplace, there is this propensity for them to drive towards a promotion conversation. Mm -hmm. One of the things I always like to ask my leaders who have, you know, talent that's in this place is, is what are they asking for behind the promotion? Mm -hmm. Right, because often I'll tell you, I sit with emerging talent all the time, right? I spend a lot of time getting to know them, find out what they're looking for, what they want. And there's a few things they will say right off the bat, right? The first one is, you know, it's not a promotion they're seeking, but they are seeking this sense of wanting to feel seen and valued, right? I don't know that we do a really good job as leaders always, especially in this day and age of really seeing and valuing the people that are in our company often enough, right? It's not enough to say, hey, at the end of the year, you got a five out of a five, 
It's actually in the day-to-day making sure that the time that they're spending, the investment they're making, they're being seen and feeling valued. And there's a lot of really cool ways to do that. The second thing that often comes up is they feel like they're not doing enough, right? That they have more capacity, right? That's often what's behind the promotion. Like I got this job, I'm doing this thing, but frankly, I could do seven other things for you. And on that note, Catherine, one of the things that's in the book that's really been telling as I had these conversations with executives is once we take a job, we become an amazingly narrowed version of ourselves. And I'll give you a real pragmatic example. Every time I meet a new team when I'm, you know, when I used to have these jobs in, in companies and in corporate, I would sit down with each individual and say, tell me about yourself. Don't tell me about your job. Tell me about what else you're great at, what else you've done. And I would have learning designers that were journalists. I would have facilitators who used to be graphic designers. And part of what's happening is we get them in these narrowed roles and they have so much more to give. And so I'd take the journalists and make them my comms person. I'd take the facilitator and have them do, you know, a new logo for the university or whatever it is. But part of what you're seeing that promotion drive is that I feel like I have more things I can do and I'm not going to do them. And then the last thing that usually drives promotion is inherently they are trying to find a place where they feel like they fit, where they are doing their best work. And again, in the book, we talk about this metaphor of when you have right fit, it's like you're writing with your dominant hand every day. When you're in wrong fit, it's like you're being asked to write with your non-dominant hand. It's hard. You're stressed. You're not performing well. You feel like a failure and every day you're trying to work harder and harder to be good at something you're just not going to be great at. And so I think this last piece of, as we walk in the performance views, we have to watch out for one thing that I see happen in performance reviews all the time is that when someone isn't succeeding, we tend to blame the person, not the system. And often you could be sitting in front of a, a talent who is brilliant, who could do amazing things for the company. And there's something holding them back. Either they don't work like the company works. They don't have a great manager. They're not doing the right kind of work or they're in a highly dysfunctional team. And so just be really careful leaders. as You walk into performance reviews. If you have someone who has been performing up to par, don't make the assumption that it's purely because they are not skilled and they're not capable. There's a lot of other likelihoods that are standing in their way of them being great. And I'd say to talent too, hey, if you're not going to, you're walking to performance review and you you don't get a good review, don't attribute it to your capability or your self-worth. There is likely something happening in your field that's stopping you from being great. And I just watch so many people, they get a poor performance review and they try to work harder and they try to do more and they try to, mm-hmm. and in the end, like I said, they start yard sailing their life. You know, if it's not going well, it's probably not going to get fixed by just doing more of the same thing or working harder. you got to really step back and ask yourself, why is this happening to me? Why aren't I succeeding in the ways that I used to? What is in the context or in the company or in the way that it works that's hard for me? And are those things I can fix? And if not, how do I find a place where I can be better? That is dead on. I love it. What do you tell the executive who's at the other end of this conversation? I, hey, I would, I would say to the executive, you know, you have a job to do in this moment 
And it's to make sure that everybody that's under your leadership is living up to their full potential. If they are, don't take the credit for it. It's probably about them. And if they're not, don't blame them. You probably have a part to play too. And so I start with, hey, just realize that every relationship is 50-50. Mm -hmm. 50% of it's probably the person. 50% of it is probably you and the company. And go into the performance review, being accountable for the pieces that are standing in the way of people being a success. And also be very aware of the 50% of people that are allowing them to be great, right? So don't take credit for all the people who are doing great work and don't pass the blame for all the people that are struggling. It's 50-50 all the time. And, and you got to walk into performance reviews understanding that, believing that, and accounting for that. And I don't know that we always do as we walk into those reviews. Can you tell me a little bit, you've got a book that's coming out, we're wrapping up now. Um, the name of it is Wrong Fit, Right Fit. Tell me a little bit about when it's coming out, where people can find it, and, and what they should expect if they pick up the book. Yeah, you got it. Thank you for asking, Catherine. It's, uh, it's out September 12th. It's Available right now in pre-order on all the big booksellers, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. And the premise of the book is this, is that there's $7.8 trillion of lost productivity due to disengagement. And so if you're a talent, the book is really situated to help you understand a little bit better about who you are, how you like to work, and what you're solving for right now in your career. And then it gives you ways to either build that in the company you are, or to do a better job of looking for it as you go out and start to interview for different jobs or different companies. And so that's one piece of the book. The other part of the book is, is really meant to help leaders and executives to get clearer about the work principles, practices, and platforms that you use, create a more authentic view of that to your employees, both perspective and otherwise, because right now we market these aspirational versions of our company and it creates a mismatch of expectation. And so how do we as leaders create an authentic version of who we are, make that really consistent and create a space where anyone that comes to our door can be great every day. Uh, that's really the premise of the book. And so it's really meant to help both talent and companies come together to create that right fit. Cause when it's there, when you're in a place that, you understand how it works and it works the way that you like to, the creative force of energy that's created is pretty magical. And so, you know, with the book, I hope to create that a few more times for a few more people and a few more companies around the world. And where do we order it? Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, you can go to the website, uh, www.wrongfitrightfit.com and you can, click through to any of those booksellers. And there's an audible version where yours truly is, is reading the book. I went out to LA and recorded it. There's also a Kindle version if you're more um, looking to read it electronically. So you can get in a lot of different formats. And I just really hope more than anything, it helps to make work less work. Because I just, it breaks my heart to see the burnout, to see brilliant people who feel like they're a narrowed version of their self and work every day. And just to see the impact it's having on our lives, which should be big and beautiful and, and magical every day. So I'm just hoping we can bring back a little vitality to use your word, uh, help make work easier and, and, you know, let everyone sort of not be fearful as they walk into to Monday morning, they should be really excited to walk through that door every day. 
Thank you, Andre. So I'm going to just recommend folks reach out to the site because um, I was watching one of the videos earlier and it's just a great listen, whether you're walking around the block for 30 minutes or you're putting stuff away at the house or you just need a break. Um, there's some really great insights, tons of research of what you have found, really like deep questions that you can ask yourself or ask other people that are around you to really spark the conversation. And if you're the executive, then use these questions, I think, to be able to ask your peers. If you're starting out in your career, use these questions to understand how the executives are working. You've got great questions out there that, that you ask. And so um, I just have really enjoyed the resources that you have out there. Um, if somebody wants to reach out to you, Andre, where, where do they find you or, or what's the best way to reach out? So they can find me on the on the website for sure. They can also find me at my email, which I'm happy to have a discussion about wrong fit, right fit any day. It's Andre at the shiftspace.com. Um, but yeah, website works. You can find me on email. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm active there and posting a lot about new insights that I'm gaining as I continue to have these conversations. So Catherine, there's a variety of ways. Fantastic. Andre Martin, you are the author of Wrong Fit, Right Fit and the founder of Shift Space found on the web at wrongfitrightfit.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you. It was a wonderful conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you like it, please subscribe, share this episode or this show with other people around you. The greatest form of a compliment is a referral. I really appreciate them. And if you think that you want to learn more about some of the work we're doing, I encourage you to reach out to katherinecanty.com. You can schedule a call or just continue to read articles and information that we post out there. Thank you so much for being here.